very deceptive. You know, there is a righteous type of anger. You know, the Bible talks about how God is angry with the wicked every day. And yet, he's merciful as well. He offers his grace as well. But the Bible does talk about God's wrath. You know, the righteousness of man is not, or the wrath of man, excuse me, does not usually come as righteous. Can it? Yeah, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, you know, don't go to sleep angry. You know, get it resolved. You know, we do see the time. Uh, where Jesus came, he was meek and lowly, but, you know, when they turned the house of God into a place to sell merchandise, taking advantage of the people as well, um, charging a high premium for them to make a sacrifice, Jesus flipped the tables over. And, you know, and yet the Bible says Jesus never sinned. And so, is it possible to be angry and not sin? Absolutely. You know, the Bible says, "Be angry, not, um, not be angry, not with your brother without the cause." You know, and finally, you know, there's a lot of times people get angry, and there really is no just cause in it. However, this is my estimate. Okay, this isn't the Bible verse that says this percentage, but my estimate is 99% of anger of man is not just. That the anger of man. Is usually not righteous. Amen. Now, anger always will feel justified. Let's get into our text before I keep preaching. Amen. Proverbs 29, verse 22 says, An angry man stirs up strife. You see, there's a difference between having a moment of anger and simply habitually being an angry man. You know, just like you know what preaching, you know what? Sometimes preaching will get loud, okay? But preaching should not be screaming the entire message. Okay? Unless it's a short one like Jonah, where he told him, you know, the wrath of God's going to come down, and God's going to destroy this place in 40 days. Okay, he cried that. It lasted like 40 seconds, and they repented. Man, if I had that kind of results, I'd be done in 40 seconds too. But I don't have those kind of results. Uh, Proverbs 29, 22, again, it says, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. And so it makes sense. An angry man stirreth up strife. A furious man aboundeth in transgression. And I said a lady link to pride. Speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. And so you know if you're feeling that wrath inside, it's best keep the mouth shut. You know the Bible says it's best for a fool to keep the lips closed. And, and it'd be thoughtful instead of, you know, there, there's another proverb, this part's not in the Bible, but then they remove all doubt. 
But the Bible says basically the same thing. That that uh, fool, when he keep of his lips, his esteem is a man of understanding. So again, speak when you're angry and you'll make the best speech you will ever regret. James 1.20 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now again, you know what? Being filled with the Spirit of God, there are going to be some things that you would be justifiably angry at. If someone was to um, harm your child, I'm not talking about if you got hit by a baseball while playing practice, okay? I'm not talking about that guy. But someone that really harms a child, and to be angry with that. If someone is coming to try to kill a loved one, you know what? You're going to be angry and should take action in protecting your family. But that's not the anger we're talking about here. Generally, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now, anger sometimes seems to work. Sometimes people will get what they want because they got angry. Think of an employer that is wrathful and angry. Sometimes he'll get what he wanted to accomplish because people feel bound, they're getting paid by a paycheck, and they're going to get things done in order. They're not really going to enjoy working. And you know what? Business thrives when you know that people also enjoy working there. It doesn't mean it's not going to be a hard work, but that they feel appreciated and, and that they feel like they're adding value to the company and that they're encouraged. You know, um, encouragement, motivation works a lot more than anger does. But anger may accomplish what you want it to do. The greatest quality of a husband and father can demonstrate is love, and the most destructive attitude a father can give is anger. Likewise, with a mother. You might be able to get your children to obey by screaming are you really wanting their heart? And there's a difference between raising your boys and yelling. Okay? Sometimes there maybe needs to be some emphasis to show there's danger. Okay, my four-year-old is climbing over one of his friends, as he calls him. Okay? He wants to be running in the street. I'm not going to be like, hey, Abraham, don't do that. Hey, no, there's going to be Raising of the boys, okay? There's, there's going to be a point of emphasis. Say, no, stop! Okay, now you guys are like, let's get going. <laughs> but there's no justification for most anger. Anger is not caused by what is happening on the outside of you, but it's what is happening on the inside of you. That's what anger comes from. Many parents think their wrath is justified by their children's disobedience and rebellion. But it's more likely that that rebellion is caused and escalated by anger. And then they end up repeating that as they grow and become adults. And then they end up turning on their children and around the people they're around. And an angry person is more likely to yield to their addictions especially after an episode 
the manger. That was the Bible comparing her. You know, go ahead and turn to Proverbs. We're in Proverbs. Um, go ahead and go to Proverbs 20, 25. Proverbs 25, verse 28. It says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Anger is like a city without walls. That it has no boundaries. And what does it do? It leads to its own self-destruction. Now remember, okay, these were in, in, living in days where you know you had to protect your city with walls. I know here we don't typically have walls um, in our cities like they did in Bible times, but it does allow an enemy to get in easier, okay, without there being walls. And so when there are no walls in our spirit, in our attitude, it's going to be as we are broken down that we are without walls. We have no rule over his own spirit. It's like a city that is broken down and without walls. And what is that? Destroyed. And it's in the videos, like, what hurt A lot of times that's where anger begins. It's that they've been hurt. And when they've been hurt again and again, and then it hasn't been let go. Because, again, anger is not the circumstances that happen to you, but it's the reaction we have to the circumstances. Okay, with the Roe versus Wade being overturned, you see the wrath in the streets. You see the anger, the vileness that they have. And I give you no surprise. That was very predictable. You know, two years ago, you did not see the pro-life people that were going around rioting and destroying cities. Okay? Okay? There's a certain type of nature that comes with these types of attitudes. But you know what? Whatever say someone's pro-choice, not everybody that is pro-choice responds that way. Okay? Some people are okay, okay, these we don't try to work on the legislature and they're in. Some states is gonna be legal, some states is not gonna be. But you just look at the anger. Now pro-life people like myself, okay, yeah, you angry when a child is losing their life? Simply because of a person's irresponsibility? Absolutely. Now does that mean we hate the person having the abortion? No, my mother almost had an abortion. Okay? Thank God she did. But sadly, there are some that went through with it. And you know, as a church, we show grace, we show mercy to those that maybe have been in those types of situations. But don't condone them. We don't encourage those kinds of things. And you know, there's sometimes different things, times where people will feel that they're being judged by Christians or judged by the church. But oftentimes, it is ill-perceived, um, it is misperceived, that it is thought that way, um, for example, one with homosexuality. Okay, if I preach a message against homosexuality, they will say I hate them, that I am homophobic. Well, they want me in here? No, shake their hand, say hello, greet them, love on them, not love or condone their sin, 
Not, tell, not encourage them or promote it on social media and say, oh, we're so proud of you for going against God. I'm not into that. But sometimes they'll feel like you're hated just because of the message of the Word of God. But so while we demonstrate love for them, they'll still oftentimes feel hated. But with other things, it doesn't seem to come across that way. You know, there's been those, um, okay, say someone committed adultery in the church. Okay, and we you know confront them, we talk with them, we try to get things resolved. You know, I've had counsel in sessions where we've done that before, but nowhere have they ever said, you know, you just hate me because you don't want me committing adultery. I've never had a drunkard tell me, oh, you hate me because you preach against um, drinking alcohol and getting drunk. Nowhere have they accused me. Now we get to a point in society where that does happen. But you know that's where we need a balance, speaking the truth in love is survival necessity. And speaking the truth in love does not mean silence. It does not mean we don't speak on it. But we do want to be careful with our demeanor that we don't look like we're just angry every day. We don't want people to feel justified and them thinking Christians are judging them all the time. You know, and you know, you know, we know we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And that's why we need Jesus. Yes, the church is going to be filled with hypocrites. But you know what? The world is filled with hypocrites too. So you know, either way, whether in the world or in the church, they're hypocrites. Now, as a Christian, we ought to do our best to not live hypocritically, habitually. May someone you know not use that as an excuse about you. Oh, you're just a hypocrite. They know you go to church and you're just wicked during the week. Let that not be named among you. The Bible says, let them that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let one not suffer as a thief or suffer as a murderer. Let that not be your testimony. Anger is like a city without walls. You see that people are not controlling their spirit. Anger is a heavy burden. And sometimes people may think, yeah, my family is bearing a heavy burden. And yeah, they bear a heavy burden if you are habitually But that burden is primary on you, on the one that's in you. Proverbs 27, verse 3 says, The stone is heavy and the sand weighty. But a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Wrath is cruel, and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? And this word outrageous here comes from the root word with the idea of a flood. That is a flood which just outrageously destroy everything in front of you. It's what anger does. It's outrageous. And it not only destroys those in our path, it destroys us. And we see with Esau, um, the Bible talks about how Esau became bitter. And that it didn't just defile himself, but it defiled those he was in contact with. It affected his mother, it affected his brother, it affected his father. Anger is a heavy burden. Anger is like a venomous snake. 
Psalm 58, 4 talks about the wicked and their wrath, that their poison is like the poison of a serpent. Another passage it said, talks about on the mouth is to what? Venomous serpents. Where does anger come from? We're going to corral over anger. We need to kind of get to the root cause. Why am I angry? And even if we are not typically known as one that's angry, I think we could all strive to get better and not be angry. To reduce those types of times where we do get angry or let it get out of control. But anger stems from pride. Pride. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride come of contention. When there's contention, there's pride. When there's frivolous fights, it's because of pride. No humility. I was involved with well advice is wisdom. Other times, anger comes from unresolved guilt. You know, God has built in that, you know, when we sin, we are going to feel guilty. Now, I understand some people feel guilty when they're not even sinning. And you know what? Sometimes that's a, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other message. You know, where in our identity in Christ, we could have confidence. We could have peace. But when we do sin, we're going to feel guilty unless our conscience has been seared with a hot iron, as the Bible speaks, that we've been in it long enough where it has no effect on us, seemingly, in our guilt, but typically unresolved guilt. And we get angry with God, get angry with others, get angry with the preacher. For some reason people think the preacher is perfect. Sometimes, well, maybe you guys all know better than that. But sometimes someone is busy, they might not be. They might say, oh, the preacher just, he has everything all together. And they feel judged by the preacher. Even if the preacher never even said anything judgmental. So, and so, you know, we do want to be um, cautious and make sure we are being not offensive, but being on the offense and showing and demonstrating the love of Christ. But that's often our own guilt. Because of our own sin. And it ends up breeding anger. We end up thinking everybody is against me. Because of our own guilt before God. And anger sometimes comes from being hurt. And not coming to a place where you forgive the person. And your hurt bleeds on everyone else around you. People that did not cut you. But they end up having to feel your wrath. And so prevailing over anger. How do we prevail over anger? One, we need to accept personal responsibility. We need to quit justifying our anger. We need to quit thinking that, yeah, that person is the one that struggles with anger. No, how about the anger in our own heart? Our own judgmental attitude. Now, forgiving does not mean you're never cautious around someone. If someone harms somebody, okay, you know, maybe you're not going to trust them in the same way. But instead of being bitter about it your whole life, 
You need to come to a place where you forgive, where you move on, so you're not held a prisoner to your anger. A snake entered a carpentry shop and it accidentally rubbed against the saw, hurting himself. It then bit the saw and hurt his mouth and hurt his tongue. And so he thought the saw was attacking him. And so he decided to roll around the saw to suffocate, only to kill itself. And that's what anger does. We may think we are getting back at somebody else, that they're getting what they deserve, but we're killing and destroying ourselves. Sometimes we react in anger, thinking about hurting those who hurt us. And we are hurting ourselves. So confess any pride. Confess any pride by humbling yourself before God and others asking for help. You blew your temper with your kids. Take them aside and apologize. Apologize to those that maybe were around. Children, apologize to your parents when you've done wrong, when you've reacted angrily or snotty. Confess any pride by humbling yourself before God and others. And it's okay to say, hey, you know what? I need help in this area. To ask for grace, to ask for mercy, and be willing to show grace and mercy. The Bible says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Threat not thyself in any wise to do evil. That vengeance doesn't belong to us. Vengeance belongeth to the Lord. There's going to be people that hate you and despise you. But it's much better when God takes care of it than when you take care of it. Now, we've had times in the past, you know, as a pastor where people have hated me. Can you imagine that? Sometimes very silly reasons why. Very silly reasons sometimes. Sometimes like, it shocks me sometimes. You ever get shocked about things? People get mad at you about sometimes. But there's been the times in the past and in previous churches that we were at as well where things would happen. People would get upset and get mad um, and, um, and just get angry, get upset, get wrathful. And yet they're not even really the a cause. And you know what a preacher do? You get behind the pulpit and start bullying them. That's not going to help. That's not going to bring bring calm. The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. So that even if someone is being angry with us, that sometimes will be pacified by us giving it a soft. Again, God's vengeance is greater than our own. If I got upset or just feel like I had to defend myself and attack back and slander or maybe reveal things that they talk to me about in confidence, it's not going to be pretty. We've had it happen, and then, you know what, the same week, hey, we try to show grace, try to show mercy, and the same week, 
that he made a public spill in church. Lose their job. And I didn't quote in that. I wasn't gleeful. I said, oh yeah, look at that. Look at what you paid for. Our attitude should never be like that. But it does show that the vengeance of God. It does show that God could handle those types of things. Our attitude should be like Moses. When God's wrath was coming down on the people of Israel, Moses interceded for them and prayed on their behalf. And prayed for God to show mercy. You know what our church ended up doing in response years ago? When we found out that he lost his job, brought them groceries. Brought them groceries, knowing they were going through a hard time. That we should not take things so personal, even if they meant it personal. God's vengeance is better. You know what the Bible talks about? You know what being kind to your enemies, feeding, giving a drink to your enemies, and it says if you put a pole, hot coals upon your head, it affects their conscience. And sometimes they'll draw people back, they'll draw people back to the Lord. Eventually, it that family, the person did come and apologize. But whether they came and apologized or not, we're to extend praise, we're to extend mercy, and let God handle it. He doesn't need us to get in the way. Understand the foolishness of anger. Ecclesiastes 7 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For anger rests of in the bosom of fools. You say, you know what? You're just spewing out anger. You know, the Bible calls you a fool. You are just letting the foolishness out. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. And now sometimes inside, you know what? You may be feeling coming. Lord, help me. Help me and react better. Ask God. For help. The Bible says that with any temptation that comes our way, that He gives a way to enable us to escape. Enables a way for us to escape. Deal with any unresolved guilt from the past. Forgive others who do you wrong. And again, leave the offense to God. When I say leave the vengeance to God, I'm not saying pray for judgment. I'm not saying pray that God will curse. No, we should be praying for God's mercy. We should pray for that God continues to draw them back to himself. A brother lost is better as a brother won back than a brother that becomes an enemy. Colossians 3 8 says, But now ye also put all put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. And so one way to over anger is just put it off. Just do it. Put it off. Have some willpower with the enabling of the Spirit of God and say, Hey, I'm done. Be angry about being angry. Okay? And then calm down. Proverbs 16.32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that rule of his spirit than he that taketh a city. 
that better it is for a man, better it is a man that is able to control his own spirit than someone that's just going out conquering cities. They, those people they may be looked as valiant and strong and courageous. The Bible says that courage isn't the man that can control his spirit. The Bible speaks of Jesus as meek, and yet he was God Almighty. Meekness is strength under control. And anger is weakness in control. Anger just shows your weakness. Think of the blessings and the freedom that will be yours when you cease to be an angry man or woman. Now, someone told my kid one day, he says, You know, I used to get angry when I see other people have better stuff than me. How foolish that is. Why say anything like that? You know, the Bible calls that covetousness. Not to be covetous. After us. 1 John 2 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him, he that says he abides in Christ, to his father, he that saith he abideth in him, of himself also so to walk, even is he walked. And Jesus was meek. He was all power but under control. Now, we can't be all power. We can't be like Jesus in that way. But the power Jesus does give us, we can have that under control. You know, a man saw a snake. We're talking about snakes a lot today, so hopefully you don't have any nightmares tonight if you have a snake phobia. But a man saw a snake being burned in a fire. You might like that part of the snakes, but you won't like being a man saw a snake being burned in the fire and decided to take it out of the fire. You know what that snake did? Bit him. Lashed onto him and bit him. Of course, he shook his arm and it fell back in the fire. And he felt the pain. Thankfully, it wasn't venomous, but it hurt. Reptile fell right back into the fire. And so this time the man grabbed a stick, not to beat it, but to use the stick to help the snake get out of the fire. And it saved the snake's life. Someone was watching him, confused. He said, that snake bit you. Why did you save it? And the man replied, the nature of the snake is to bite. But that's not going to change my nature, which is to help. Do not change your nature of being filled with the Holy Spirit simply because someone does harm to you. Don't let how other people treat you harshly affect you negatively. They want to be church. They want to be terrible people. You know, the Bible says, let the filthy remain filthy and the ignorant be ignorant. If that's who they want to be, okay. But don't let that change your nature. Okay, say it. Okay, with all these riots going on now, I'm thankful for being in this small, rural community. 
glad we're not in this city. But if that wish to come here, you know, we are in the middle of Seattle and Portland, and so you know what? They could all merge here. How will we respond to that? It doesn't matter how they treat us. You know, Bible talks about, you know what, happy are you who suffer persecution for the name of Christ. Happy! Bible says, count that all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I encourage you, you know, if someone burned our church building down, you know what, that'd be anger stemming inside, or it'd be a temptation to be angry. I know we need to calm down. We need to show the grace to recognize that these are hurting people. That they need Jesus. That they need to know his saving power. To know that it's this snake bit, this man that we as humans have despised and rejected God at some point or disbelieve in him. He was condemned to the cross for our sin, but he didn't have to die because of our sin. That was a choice. He laid his life down. He didn't have to die because of our sin. He had to die to save us from our sin. And while we despise Jesus, while the people, while the Jewish people, while the Roman people, wasn't just one side. Some people want to blame the Jews, some want to blame the Romans. No, it was the people, mankind, crucified Jesus. And yet Jesus said, you know what? No man take my life. I lay it down. Now there's a dichotomy in that. Peter uh, preached and said, ye by your wicked hands have murdered Jesus Christ, whom God had foreordained before the foundation of the world to be crucified. That God in his love, and already knowing about our sin, sent us a Savior for our sin. And then said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that included those that crucified Jesus Physically, those that were there, those that were present, those disciples that forsook them after he was crucified. And he rose again. And he calls on us to believe. And the Bible says that with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That whosoever shall call upon the, the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if you don't know that heaven would be your home, you don't know if you have a relationship with Christ, you don't know you have eternal life, that maybe that's where some anger is resting as well. Maybe you're like, I don't know what purpose this is in life. I'm always angry, I'm always bitter, I'm always feeling like bad things are happening to me. What did I do with deserve it? You know, we deserve the wrath of God. But God made a way to save our soul, to save our spirit. So I pray with you, if you do not know Jesus is your Savior today, to make today be that day that you come to know him as your own personal Savior. You know, Jesus says that um, his children are in his Father's hand. 
And then Jesus says in here, in my, this is when we're saying, that when we trust in the Bible says we are the children of God by faith. And then the Bible says we are sealed by the Spirit of God to the day of redemption. And Jesus said, no man shall pluck you out of my hand. No man shall pluck you out of my Father's hand. And then we're sealed to the day of redemption. It's what we have when we have eternal life. You can't lose it. If you could lose it, it wouldn't be called eternal life. It wouldn't be eternal. Amen. He said, no man can fuck it out. Okay? I guess it doesn't say no woman, huh? So I guess a woman could fuck out. No, no man. Nobody. And that includes yourself. Now, there may be times where Christians backslide. Where Christians are not walking with the Lord. And the Bible says in Romans 4 5, let's go ahead and go there so to make sure I quote it right. Romans 4 5. In times, if we could go ahead and get some music playing in the background, please. And Romans 4. Romans 4, verse 5. It says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him. That justify of the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. I'm only saying right here. Those that have never do works, never do any kind of good works for God. But they believe on him that justify the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Heaven is David also described of the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. Saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Come of this blessedness then upon a circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. That he wasn't been circumcised yet, but we're just to have that. But yet, God counted that as a faith of righteousness. And he received a sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of that faith, which he had yet, being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And so, the Bible is very clear that salvation, Old Testament and New Testament, was by Faith. By faith. By faith, looking forward to Jesus Christ, or faith looking back. That even in the Old Testament, people were not saved by their works. Now, James says, say, faith without works is dead. Okay? It is, okay? If, if, if I say I have faith and you never see me do anything to serve the Lord, that's not going to be a living to you. Doesn't mean I'm not saved, but the Bible does say we are created unto good works. I don't do good works to get saved. I do good works because I am saved and want to show appreciation to the Lord for what He's done in my life, not to get saved. And so that's what the point of James was. Okay, you may say you have faith without works, but your testimony is dead. So he says, live out your faith. Let people 
people see your faith. You know, we're not just only supposed to let people see our faith either. Some people have this idea of a lifestyle evangelism where I'm not going to share the gospel with other people unless they ask. You know what? If that's how all of Christianity operated, Christianity would have been extinct long ago. If we just waited until people come to these doors, wait until people come to us, uh, God, God did not give us a go and hide type of religion. He gave us a go and tell. And so now we should be living the lifestyle, okay? But we should not depend on our lifestyle alone to tell people about Jesus. And we just think, oh, well, they're a good, nice person. We need to tell them. The Bible says, how shall they believe except they hear? And how shall they hear except they, um, they, they, uh, they hear a preacher except they be sent? We're all supposed to be sure in the gospel. The Great Commission was not given to pastors. The Great Commission was given to Christians to share the gospel. Let, let your lifestyle match it, okay? Don't let your faith be without works. Let your faith be with works. The works don't save you, but what you be works, showing that you're saved. And just remember, if you don't know Jesus, your Savior, don't talk to me after service. Show you from the Word of God. You can know you can have eternal life. Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in here that does not know you as their Savior, as your Word says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. And that you have written in your Word that our life is but a vapor, the pair for a little while, and a vanisheth away. We don't know when our life is going to be taken from us. And so may we today be the day that we know you, Lord, we don't. And Lord, with every single one of us, help us with our anger. Help us to seize from anger. Help us to walk in the Spirit of God, to be filled with your Spirit. Help us to be careful before we speak. Help us in our parenting. Help us in our respect to our parents. Help us with how we treat others at work. If our testimony has been rotten, if our testimony has been that of a man or a woman of wrath, Lord, may today be the day that changes and that over time people see that difference. And you see it immediately. Sometimes it takes time to earn that credibility back. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you.